I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube, July 31st, last day of July, Sam. Mm. We're going to go through all the recent training camp news, the injuries. We know there's always, always stuff happening here. A lot of stuff happening. People getting hurt. It sucks. Yeah, I don't like it at all. Really early in camp. Yeah. Like immediately, guys are dropping like flies. The uh, Lex injuries, lower extremities, yeah. happening a lot here recently we'll break down some of that so we got Jalen Ramsey Joe Burrow we get Aaron Rodgers clapping back on Sean Payton again Sean Payton yeah good stuff and uh Danelle Hunter signs with the uh we're extended with the Minnesota Vikings so New all deal. sorts of stuff to discuss here Jonathan Taylor and Jim Irsay what a weird yeah we talk about their their riff I mean we, we broke down in depth I I venture to say no other PFF NFL or NFL podcast sorry Hmm. Certainly no other PFF NFL podcast broke down Kyler Murray and his like social media strategy last year. We broke that down in depth. What happens when he unfollows the Cardinals on Instagram? What's happening in the front office with the Cardinals? Right. We're going to break down what's happening when Jonathan Taylor and uh, Jim Irsay are taking it to social media to go back and forth here. We're going to break it all down. Having had a big meeting in the bus. It's almost hard to believe that didn't fix everything. <laughs> they met in the bus, too? Yeah, Jim, like, drove the bus up to the side of the practice facility, and uh, Jonathan Taylor had, like, an hour-long meeting in there with him. That didn't work, huh? No. Apparently, very quickly after that. Jonathan, yeah, what we're going to do is come up with some uh, off-season injury that you didn't have, apparently. Yeah. That's only uh, making it worse. All right. So, uh, where do we want to start here? Let's do, uh, let's do the clickbait Aaron Rodgers stuff. Okay. Yeah. It's all clickbait. I mean, it's all clickbait. That's the beauty of this. It's July. Yeah. Still July. Tomorrow, it's August. We change everything. I watched some of the, uh, what do they call it, Back Together Weekend thing, where they did like a mini, almost like a, um, seven hours of commercial-free football, but like for training camps. It was kind of interesting. They, you know, bombed around every training camp thing. NFL Network? Yeah, yeah. They did? Yeah. They can do that again? I don't know. I'll do it. I'm, 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 in between, I'm in between providers right now. Oh. Yeah. Mm. DirecTV on and off customers since 2003. Right. And I will soon... Is this like a broadcast version of when you phone them up and say, I'm thinking of moving to Virgin Media or whatever, and they go, oh, we can offer you a limited time, cheaper deal. Are you doing well, this on the broadcast to try and DirecTV is going to pick up the phone? Oh, no, I've already canceled DirecTV. Oh, okay. Now, for... Look, I'm gonna, we're going to banter for a little bit. It's okay. <laughs> um, I think a lot of veterans of Sunday Ticket know... There was a strategy for years. 
you could find it on um, the old message boards now turned into like the reddit threads or whatever when you called the cancellation line yeah that's what i'm saying on directv you called the cancellation line like man i'm out of here they're like do you want sunday take sunday ticket right uh, that's all i wanted thank can you can i say how much i hate that what? i hate having to do that i hate having to call these people up and get the cheaper thing that they could just give me in the first place. Like we have to phone around, like every time your insurance is up, right? And I have to go phoning seven people and then go back and say, hey, I just got this deal, match it. And they're like, oh, okay, just give me the cheap money. Like stop making me do this legwork to go find it and then get it cheaper in the first place. Just give me the cheap deal. And the negotiation, huh? Yes. Just, just, go, just, just get it. right I to it. I hate that dance that you have to do. So I, so anyway, I don't know if there's a trick with YouTube. Um, I am trying to figure out, are there other streaming services besides YouTube TV, though? If I just got Sunday ticket through YouTube TV. Um, I'll tell you what my fear is, though, because mm. I, have, I have a routine on Sundays. My routine, as you know, is the eight-box mix yeah. for, uh, for DirecTV. I believe YouTube allows four. Yeah. So I'm going to have to go... But two TVs, yeah. two fours. I do know you've got unlimited uh, Sunday ticket streams. Right. So I have my computer there. So once there, the the problem is like week two. There's there's ten games at one. Most weeks you're at the seven to nine range. But once you're above eight, you know it's tricky. But forcing you, in. forcing you to the second TV in terms of um, in terms of picture real estate is actually. Great. It'll be a win. Because now instead yeah. of eight games and one one TV with the bar at the bottom, so you're not even seeing a third yeah. of the screen, now you've got four and four. And YouTube does better. Size. YouTube does better with the with the four box yeah. real estate. Now we've got like some yeah. serious size for each screen. You can actually see what's going on. I already had a second TV in the mix, but that would either be on a on a singular game right. or on red zone. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the setup. You know, I don't really have a preseason to practice it. So week one, it's just going to be we're just we're just going. We need to get that guy that uh, that shows us his draft setup every year. We need to get him in. Say, here's what we're working with. Yeah, we could get Chris probably to fly him in. and set up our our home office systems. Yeah, YouTube TV. Yeah, the end. Make it make magic happen. Make it work. Just go go nuts. And look, if you need to buy four more TVs. Charge just throw it on the PFF card. Right. Charge just throw it right on the card. You won't have a problem. That's what we Easy. should. That's what we should be doing. So, um, you know, let me know. I mean, in it, if YouTube TV, if we're looking to uh, to partner with you, YouTube. <laughs> just throwing that out there. We're influencers in the NFL space. Yeah. And you happen to have Sunday ticket, so uh, let's go. Let's chat. Okay. We'll push some people your way with Sunday ticket. Sure. We got some. We have some it's sway always, here. You know. I, I laugh when you say things like that on the basis of, like, how would anybody, you know, this, what a ridiculous thing that any of those people are listening to us. Did you see we showed up yeah. on that Lions video at the start? You know, the we, that classic. We. We. It's our show. It was you. I mean, my voice was there, but it was our show. Yeah. Taken from our show. It, that could have been on any show. <laughs> right. You could have been on any show. Having said that, I remember specifically making those statements. So on our show. that classic uh, thing that these uh, videos do where they're like, here's all what the media said, and here's us clapping back. You know, we were the uh, what the media said by we, I, yeah, influencers. And I noticed, by the way, that they cut it off right before I said the good thing, because I was it was a it was oh, a yeah. cadence to that speech. I was saying, look, they reached in the first round, bad. They reached for a position of low value, bad. But but they got a good football player. We like all the football good. players. They cut it off right before that part. 
They were just giving it the bad part. The, so I'm not accusing the Detroit Lions, who we may or may not be visiting in training camp any sometime soon. I'm not accusing them of taking my words out of context and using it to power their very good video on the draft on their YouTube channel. I'm just saying that that was cut off before I gave them praise. Let me assure you that the media would never chop up interviews, words, or sound bites in order to no. make a point never. that furthers the point that they want to make. No, least of all us. They would never, ever do that. No one does that at all. No. That is a rare thing. Very rare. Mm. Yeah, we'll be there in a few weeks. Hopefully, we'll have Dan Campbell on the show. We'll talk to him about it. I'll let you, uh, I'll let you answer for yourself. Why did you say this was all bad and then not give any positives? No, I think we should, we should, we should go on the offensive and ask Dan Campbell why he cut off the comments at the, oh, I like it. the critical moment. Yeah. Do you think Dan will really get off why the did, Dan, here? why did you take our comments out of context? Remember our friend Rick Spielman? as GM yeah. was everything goes through him he, he was like I watch all of our internet right. social media videos yep do you think Dan you know takes an interest well, I don't think it matters if he does or he doesn't the point is he's in that position so yeah. we can take it to him and say, we can act as if the, the buck stops there either him or Brad Holmes like they, they both have final say right on those videos um, just to put a bow on the influencer thing we did get <laughs> an email you know so if you are listening YouTube TV oh yeah Austin Callahan emailed us. Also, generally, nflpodcast.pff.com. Email us in things. But Austin specifically in the title said, I bought Manscaped because of Sam, Steve, and Trevor. Including, by the way, um, specifically charity ideas. Both the charity we can donate to and the thing we can do as a challenge, forfeit, whatever, afterwards. Um, We've had a few of those come in, but not enough. And largely because I think I typically forget about it until the very last moments of the show. And then ask people, so we're doing it closer to the top. Email also, us in. All right, we're getting into the Rogers stuff, but also closer to the top. We're going to remind you, as a parent, your child's well-being is your top priority. You want to see them chase their dreams, embrace life's adventures, and thrive in the world. But you also know life can be unpredictable, and that's why it's important to plan for the unexpected so they can continue to thrive no matter what. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policy is issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Price is subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Aaron Rodgers, Sean Payton. Sean Payton said some mean things about Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos coaching staff from last year. Sean Payton said effectively what everybody else said last year. He just said it out loud as a coach who took over the job of the guy that did that last year, which is typically not done. (laughs) Very typically not done. Uh, And then, so Mike Florio, you know, pro football talk has been on absolute fire lately with pearl clutching reactions to these things, you know, and he had this big thing of, oh, everybody was rushing to, to defend Sean Payton, but he just, this is just a mistake. You shouldn't have done it, you know? And then Peyton himself comes out and says, ah, you know, I, I goofed. I had my Fox analyst hat on, and I should have had my coaching hat on. You Dude, know? that would have been rough if it, was on, if it was on Fox. Well, this is my thing, right? So this is funny for a couple of reasons. Number one, in reference to the Florio thing, 
everybody was coming out and saying things, but they weren't defending him as much as simply saying, and almost everybody's head in very similar terms, which is itself suspicious. But they were all sort of saying, Sean Payton doesn't do anything by accident. Everything he does is deliberate. Like, he knows what he's doing with the media. They were all saying that, right? And then, so it's not like they were saying, so, like, he should have said it. This is great. This is fine. Like, no problem with the comments. They were all just making the point that this probably wasn't a mistake. Then Peyton himself comes out and says, it's a mistake. Big mistake. But that doesn't mean he's telling the truth, right? And But the funny part was he was like, oh, I just, you know, I was, I was putting my Fox analyst hat on. The dude never said anything like that when he was working for Fox. Like, this wasn't like this was a weekly occurrence. He was out there just blowtorching dudes in the NFL. He had the standard, you know, NFL guy moonlighting on TV approach of never say anything particularly controversial because in seven minutes time you're going to be back working with those people again so keep it you know middle of the road my like minor uh affronting type of stuff right so nothing about that made any kind of sense other than I kind of agree with the people who say you know on the balance of probabilities Sean Payton has been around the block enough times to know that like, you don't generally set fire to the guy that was in your job five minutes ago publicly, you know? So it was, there's probably a significantly larger chance than this was a deliberate act for whatever reason than he just accidentally lit him on fire in an, in an interview. Yeah, I mean, it's all overblown, of course. But it is. I mean, that's a it? very... Why would he... He basically said this was the worst coaching job in the history of the NFL. Yeah, he said what a lot of people were believing. He did, but people don't say that. Coaches don't say that. About no, I know coaches. that. I mean, that's... So that part is real. That's the weird part. Like, you've burnt bridges with... Um, not that, you know, him and Nathaniel Hackett are right. going to be working together, but there's, there's probably a lot of overlapping friends and cololleagues in the industry and everything, and he probably rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Right, so I that don't part... Think, I, think I don't know that it has... The only thing it does is maybe put more of a target on Sean Payton when they start. If they start one and four, also in week five, and in week five, they play the Jets. But I'll get to that in a second. I mean, if they start one and four, or whatever, it's like, oh, you think it was easy, huh? Yeah, look how easy it is, you know, coaching Russ in the in the Broncos. So let but, me ask you, if we, if you agree with my assessment that this was some way calculated as opposed to, well, I had my Fox on. What's the calculation? On, this is what I'm asking you. What do you think he was trying to do with that with those comments? I think he just. I think he did just... So you think that he just yeah. goofed and just accidentally blowtorched Nathaniel Hackett? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he was... Because he's probably... Be, let's, 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 let's just uh, give him credit and say there's a kernel of truth here that last year's Broncos may not have been well-coached. You can... I mean, for the, the actual legitimacy... I don't have to coach against Aaron Rodgers, so I can say it. It was a bad coaching job last year, right? The actual legitimacy of what he's saying is almost a separate conversation. Like, I don't think anybody is disagreeing with the foundation of his point, which is that may well have been the worst coaching job in so, NFL history. Like, in a, in a period where Urban Meyer was, like, out kicking his own players and stuff, Hackett might have done worse. Remember, <laughs> we were, like, a couple of weeks into the Nathaniel Hackett thing, asking... Debating that. How soon is it? To, like, how quickly can you fire a guy? Yeah. And so, and genuinely, that was, like, a few weeks... The crowd, an 80-yard field goal the on crowd was five. chanting the snap count, yeah. like six, five, four, so they weren't going to yeah. false start again or delay of game. Like, it was a train wreck. So, I saw recently another clip of the uh, 
the Manning cast. You remember where they kicked the 61-yard field goal thing? So it was the Mannings and Shannon Sharp on this, like yes. just before the half. Right. Like we make a, uh, it was like third and a mile. They dump it off to Javante Williams, who gains like most of that back. So now it's like four and five, fourth and five from wherever it is, midfield. And Manning's like, okay, now, let, now let's, let's call a timeout. Let's talk about this one. And it's like clock keeps running, clock keeps running. And then they're like, what are they doing? Eli's like, oh, I don't know if you want to let the clock run down this way. Then they end up calling the timeout, like right, like as the clock's about to expire, having burned 25 seconds almost down to the, the wire. And then it's like, <laughs> they're going to kick it. They're kick what? And the man, he's like, they're kicking the field goal. <laughs> just like disgusted <laughs> with it. You know, that's one of like, that was, you know. Here's an 80 yard field goal at 460. Yeah, 64, 60 something. Um, absolute like bungling of a half of a just before the half situation, which was like standard. I mean, this was a complete and total train wreck. And we'll get on to the Aaron Rodgers thing in a minute. But I, what I find interesting every time Rodgers backs up Hackett, which he does quite a lot publicly, is when you listen to how he describes Hackett, it's never extolling the virtues of his coaching ability from an X's and O's standpoint or a scheme. It's always like he makes it fun. You know, it's yeah. great. I love that guy. And you're like, this, I mean, that's part of it. You know, nobody's saying that you want to be playing for a, like, whip-cracking, you know, dictatorial lunatic as coach. Fun is, is certainly a benefit. Feels like there needs to be more things than that, though, you know? Yeah, so the only, the only benefit to doing it is protecting your quarterback, right? Yes. That's it. There you go. So you're protecting Russell Wilson. You're but putting like you're gonna, all the blame on the guy that I, isn't in the building anymore so that Russ doesn't feel like it's his fault. I don't know if you need to do that publicly. I mean, I, I really think there's probably this human element of it where Sean Payton, like what you just described, he's grinding film from last year and he's like, what is this? What is this offense doing? Russ is in the wrong offense here. Like, what's, why is he calling this? Why is he doing this from a game management standpoint? I just think the human element bubbled up and was like man that was bad last year and he's been seeing all of this he's seeing it in the building he's seeing it in the players he's seeing it on film and then he just kind of slipped up if he had spent his entire tv broadcasting career talking like that i would buy that like if if when sean payton became a fox analyst you got unfiltered sean and it was just like bombs left and right oh they are right yeah i get that i buy that he just he was in tv mode he just spoke his mind but he wasn't. Like, he was careful enough with his words when, he, when they mattered. And he knew he was talking. Like, this wasn't, oh, I, I didn't thought we were off the record. Like, he was an interview. He's not that dumb. This, like, he knew what he was doing. The only question is, what was he doing? Yeah, so maybe he's, maybe he's protecting Russell Wilson a little bit. Yeah. Now, let's get on the Aaron Rodgers thing. Because Rodgers was asked about it, obviously, on, on Back Together Weekend on NFL Network. And he gave a little answer. With P. Shrigs. Yeah, the end of which I think we have a clip of right here. I thought it was way out of line and appropriate, and I think he needs to keep uh, my coach's names out of his mouth. They're very, very professional looking here. Yeah. yeah. Good work, it's Tyler like, and team. It's like looking good. So that was he had like a minute long whatever reply to that. That was the end of which the the soundbite part. But again, he was like one of my face. So. He said, one of my favorite coaches ever. Not the best, favorite. And then was talking about how, you know, he makes the whole thing fun. He's like, it's like, this is a lot like how they were speaking about him when he went to Denver, which is, (laughs) 
It's sort of like the wide receiver thing. If the first thing you're telling me is about his contested catch skills, like if the first thing you're telling me about a coach is he's just fun to be around. Well, we'll see. I so feel like I feel like he should lead with something else. It, it makes it makes week five. So they do play in week five. Yeah. Broncos at the Jets. I'm sorry, Jets at the Broncos, which is interesting. But it's not like well, Aaron Rodgers is going to have that one, you know, starred on the calendar here. The Jets have to start in Buffalo on Monday Night Football, mm-hmm. or against Buffalo on Monday Night Football. And we're going to be sitting there after week one and be like, the J- this is the Jets' division now because Aaron Rodgers is in town. Or, hey, the Bills are still the top dog in the division. There's going to be massive overreaction on Tuesday, September 12th, the next morning, no matter what happens that first night. But we're going to get that right off the bat. Jets, Bills. Then the Jets have to go to Dallas. They're home against the Patriots, who they haven't beaten in forever. We'll see if Rodgers can, can change that. Then they have the Chiefs. So you got the defending Super Bowl champs uh, in week four, and then you're at Denver in week five. I mean, the Jets could be sitting there at one and three going into this Broncos game, and it really doesn't matter. They could also be sitting there at three and one, and it's like, all right, this is what they expected, right? This is what the Jets were is why they got Aaron Rodgers. So, I don't know. The Week 5 game will be a little bit more interesting, but there's a lot. Then they have the Eagles right after that, by the way. The Jets. The beginning of their schedule is brutal. absolutely brutal. And I think we're going to see this from a lot of AFC teams. It's going to look really rough on yeah. paper. As long as everybody stays healthy, those are some really good competitive matchups. I mean, just across the board, we'll you know, talk about this endlessly before the season, but there's too many good teams in the AFC and not enough wins for them all to get wins like they're going to knock each other off and there are going to be some teams that have crappy records that would like run the table in the nfc so yeah that was um i mean it's fun stuff i think peyton i mean people say speak your mind in the media yeah they don't mean that though no they want to they want to attack you as soon as you do it yeah why would you do that that's so mean like at, at worst sean peyton was mean to uh his coaching friends yeah, well, not even and maybe, friends. Just a dude that happens to be doing the same job. Maybe he feels personally disrespected by how bad Hackett was. Yeah, I can't believe you're in the same industry. You're an insult. Me. Yeah, you're an insult to the profession. Yeah. I'm going to call you out for it. That's what I used to do to our uh, PFF graders. If someone wasn't up to my... Really? Up, just, to, up to speed. You just blow torch them publicly. Yeah, this dude's terrible. You go terrible back to player. like Steve's 2010 tweets. It's like him ripping... <laughs> part-time PF. Uh, this other guys. idiot grader compared to me. Yeah. Can't believe we're doing the same job I didn't here. get a 97.5 accuracy it's, number. It's unbelievable. All right, what else are we talking about today? Injuries, unfortunately. What? No, no, you want to do the, the Jonathan Taylor, Jim Irsay madness? Yeah. So the timeline to this apparently is a little bit more complicated than it was first reported to be. Apparently, he had asked for a trade several days beforehand to Chris Ballard. Um, had I think been told no, or at least it hadn't gone anywhere. And then Jim rocks up with the bus, which, I mean, I'm only looking at the outside of it, right? So who knows what it's like inside. But it doesn't look as fancy as Jerry's bus. Oof. I will say that. It looks older. Jerry set the standard. Yes. It looks older. It looks like, you know, you could have upgraded to a newer model by now, you know? And from, a, again, just billionaire mindset to billionaire. Just saying, Jim, it might be time to upgrade that bus. But anyway, I mean, maybe that's what did it, you know? Maybe if you had had Jerry's bus, Jonathan Taylor would have been suitably wowed. Anyway, the bus rocks up at practice. Jonathan Taylor goes on there for like an hour-long meeting. Not Jerome Bettis, by the way, the actual bus. Correct. Yeah. And then almost immediately after that meeting, requests a trade publicly. And, uh, yeah. So. so the bus meeting was basically like, hey, we're not, 
we're not giving you any sort of extension. Probably. Here. Now, the Colts have a really weird history when it comes to paying running backs because um, on the one hand, rather than pay Marshall Falk, they traded him away. Rather than pay uh, Ed? Eric Dickerson, oh, they Dickerson. traded him away. Rather than pay Edge, they traded him away, albeit after like a seven-year contract, so it's not quite the same thing. Um, on the other hand, they traded a first-round pick for Trent Richardson. Yeah, I was waiting for you to get right. to that one. Right, so it's yeah. like, eh, how much do they care about running backs? Maybe they only care about running backs right out of the draft, like first contract, which would be a pretty like progressive and you know, uh, foresighty type of opinion way back in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, on the other hand, maybe they just have a completely random-ass approach to running back deals, and there's no earthly way of projecting I, what they're going to do. I mean, the consistent thread is the Ursays there. Yes, obviously. that's what I'm saying. On the other hand, they also, by the way, there's one guy I think that they have paid off the back of his rookie contract, and it was Joseph Adai. So it's like... Yeah, there's really no... Yeah, rhyme or reason to it. Now, they didn't give... It's not like Adai was breaking the bank when they gave him money, but... Right. But yeah, there's really no consistency there. I've also heard Bill Poley, and I can't remember if it was what he said publicly, but he's all for... <laughs> or, or to you while he was haranguing you for being an idiot. Listen, we've been in cordial meetings as well. <laughs> we've been in some non-cordial meetings. We've been in cordial meetings in the same setting. While Bill was but, calling uh, me a Mr. moron. Does he go by Mr. Polian? Do people just throw the Mr. on him like he's an owner? Do you get anything... Can we just get rid of all the Mr. stuff? They're all just human beings like the rest of us. Well, if you're... Uh, it feels like... So this is like the America's version of, you know, the knighthood system. Sir Richard Attenborough, whatever, oh, yeah. Sir Alex Ferguson. Like, you you reach a billionaire status, you become Mister. But do they have like when you once you hit the Hall of Fame, it feels like you should have a like a thing, a prefix to your name. No, you get a jacket. You could you do you a jacket. You get a jacket and a bust. Yeah. Be happy with it. We're not gonna be like Mister Joe Thomas this weekend. The videos are Mr. right there. I'll do that, Mister Thomas. We'll call Mister Thomas. Next All time the Hall of show. Famers like opening their jackets. You know, they get yeah. mailed to them and stuff. And the fancy box that you know. You open the box and the jacket is on a hanger like attached to it. It's very fancy. But Joe Thomas's video, he's opening it like on the trash can in his garage. It's like, come on, Joe. Look, this is this is some social media moment. Can you find a better pedestal for Joe's the thing? Great. Joe's great. Knows what he's doing. As a three-time Hall of Famer here, um, mm. I have a jacket as well. Oh. Should I wear my Hall of Fame jacket this weekend? Hall of Fame weekend. Should I wear my Hall of Fame jacket? Yes. It is. Um, Ideally, we need to get you. Not tailored <laughs> exactly, <laughs> properly. So um, just saying, we do anything for the comedy. We need to get aspect. you interviewing an NFL Hall of Famer in your Hall of Fame, yes. ill-tailored jacket. I will wear it to training camp uh -huh. and see if we run into Barry Sanders up in Detroit or Incredible. something. Incredible. So, uh, yeah, we did not get the extra long sleeves oh. or even just long sleeves. Well, yeah, the, the not tailored part can go one of two ways, right? It's either we cover the length but not the width or we cover the width and not the length. None of it's good. None of it's good. <laughs> but uh, three-time Hall of Famer here. I do have a jacket. What are we talking about here? Where did we go? Jonathan Taylor and Jim Irsay. Ah, so, so uh, anyway, uh, I, I was going to say Bill Polian was like all the – all these top running backs are in the Hall of Fame. Therefore, who cares if you spend a first-round pick on them? They're great players, you know. So like he, he loved running backs. The Jonathan Taylor thing comes on the backup. Remember, so back up really quick, not to beat the whole running back horse again. Coming into this offseason, we said it's a very good running back class, especially at the top mm -hmm. in the draft, and a lot of these top name running backs are kind of hitting free agency. Right. Because I just saw people tweeting about, well, next year's running back class is going to look really good. It's like, no, it was this year's. And because there was a plethora of good running backs out there, draft and free agency, 
that's kind of what the leagues put their foot down and said, we're not doing that, right? We're just not playing that game anymore. We're out. So now Jonathan Taylor, who's still under contract, heading into the last year of his deal because he's a second rounder, he's heading into year four. He wants to get paid. And even the Colts, like if the Colts gave him 12 or 13 million up in that Saquon Barkley range, it it probably wouldn't even be egregious for the analytics people, you know, but that's just not where the market is right now. So the Colts say no. And Jonathan Taylor's upset, just like Josh J- Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley and everyone else. The rest of the running the backs are upset. The final turn of this, by the way, is that the Colts were then talking about putting him on the non-football injury list due to back pain that apparently was the result of some pre-report training camp thing, like a pre-existing back pain. Jonathan Taylor is going to come out and said, I've never had back pain. There is no back pain. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Get better sources. Essentially saying if they do put me on the non-football injury list, it's completely fake. So essentially trying to put them in a bit of a bind. So Uh, they're not in a good place. They also can't do that. I mean, he was working out just because he's not working out with the team in Indianapolis. It depends how he does it, I think. What? It depends how he does it, I think. Yeah, I mean, if it's like a... uh, you know, if he's falling off a three wheeler or something like that, like those are the but types of things. But also, if he's just are, like playing basketball or, or like, basketball, like those are the types of things that are in your but contract, right? But there's a bunch. No, there's like so it doesn't just have to be a specified thing in the contract. Like you cannot ride wave runners, you know, on a weekend. Either way, right. the report, whether it's true or not, was that he was working out in Arizona. Right. Anyway, the so they're not in a good place. Um, the question becomes, who's going to give up anything to trade for Jonathan Taylor? Which is the problem now, because you can't, you're not just trading for Jonathan Taylor. You're trading for Jonathan Taylor needing a new contract, or you're trading for Jonathan Taylor for 12 months. See, I, I do wonder, so how good is Jonathan Taylor? He was the, let's use PFF war for a minute here, sixth most valuable running back as a rookie, most valuable running back in year two in 2021. Last year falls off. We see the grades up on the screen, 67 grade was not nearly as good. He's very elusive. I think I think if you're just if you're just saying who are the best pure runners in the NFL, I think it's I think Jonathan Taylor's right up there with Nick Chubb, maybe Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, just pure running part of the running back position. But remember in 2021, Carson Wentz is the quarterback for the Colts. He's having he has a med- mediocre season, right? He was kind of took care of the ball. They scored a ton of points. If there are arguments for running back seasons that had huge impact, I'd put Jonathan Taylor's 2021 up there with some of the best seasons of the last 10 years as far as impact on their offense. Sure. Like the, your Derrick Henry years with the Titans, your Adrian Peterson years, uh, year or two with the Vikings. So that's kind of what you're, you'd be chasing there. But then the downside is last year when yeah. the offensive line falls apart and Taylor gets all beat up and he's missing games in the middle of the year – and the production falls so falls this, off completely. That's the caveat with anything running back when it comes to investing. That's the problem, is if this had happened, like if those years had happened in reverse order and Jonathan Taylor was, was making this plea, essentially, or making this play coming off the back of that 2021 season, now we'd have a discussion because, you know, people were giving him MVP hype that season. You could easily argue he was the best player on the team, all those kinds of things. Now you can't make any of those claims because the following season happened, which is the entire point of running back play, which is, okay, let's say for a minute you're correct, right? And his agent has said this, like, oh, he's your best player. 
Okay, well, if he was your best player and capable of carrying the team on his shoulders the way everybody claims he did in 2021, why couldn't he do it again the next year? What happened? What happened is his offensive line fell apart, and therefore Jonathan Taylor's impact disappears. The Colts last season, despite having Jonathan Taylor, ranked 30th in rushing EPA per play. 30th with apparently the best running back in the NFL. So if that's possible, if we entertain that that is now in the range of outcomes, that even with the best running back in the NFL, you can have almost the worst rushing success in the entire league, then why the hell would I trade you know, a second-round pick or a first-round pick and give him $15 million a year if I can still have the worst running game in the NFL? Like, that's, that's dumb. I wouldn't do that. So that's the problem all running backs have is that almost every single one of them has one season like that where you can point to the evidence and say, it doesn't matter that he's good. Yeah. Even, even Christian McCaffrey, who I think we'd all agree the Niners' improvement last year coincided with McCaffrey joining the squad and Brock Purdy taking over a quarterback, there were years where McCaffrey was just injured and, right. and didn't play. And not that injuries aren't unique to the running back position. They're just more common, right? That's, they're they're going to get beat up. And then they also, as we've mentioned on other shows, the the peak for a running back is years one through five and you know you yeah you get some productive years years six seven eight but it's just rare it goes back to the the conversation we were having with Bijan robinson um or about Bijan robinson before the draft which is your starting point needs to be do you already have a functional running game because the running back can't fix it by himself right so when we were talking about how high do you draft Bijan, the starting point was, is your running game already functional? Because if it isn't, stop, stop, don't go any further, go back to go, pick up a different position, don't draft him here, because he won't fix it. We've already seen that with Najee Harris and the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you need the running back to come in and fix your run game, forget about it, you're already doing it wrong. So the starting point for any trade discussion for Jonathan Taylor needs to be, does the team already have a functional run game? Because if it doesn't, that team is right out of, immediately off the board, or they should be. Um, so you limit, okay, you say, right, who has a good run game that would be potentially interested in upgrading? I want to get into the, do you have options? Do well, have the, problem with, so the problem with that is most of those teams at this point in the season have either already addressed that or the situation is so good for the run game that they can plug anybody in there and for a fraction of the cost can potentially have a dominant run game. So I'll, like, give, I'll give you an option. Imagine Jonathan Taylor running behind the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line, right? That dude could run for like 2,500 yards and put like, it would be insane. But the Eagles just got a collection of running backs for like 2 million total. So why would they? Let's get into some other options. But first, if you want to get in on the fantasy action, but you're sick of your managing, of managing your roster, sick of player injuries ending your season, well, you've got Best Ball and DraftKings. You get the best of your team all season long. This year, Best Ball and DraftKings is bigger than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. For now, for a limited time, you can join DraftKings, their largest best ball contest ever, and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished. Act now before this offer expires. Start playing best ball. Download the DraftKings app using code PFF. Enter DraftKings Best Ball Millionaire Contest and Snake Draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. No ads, no drops, no trades, no I should have played him instead. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with code PFF and start playing best ball today. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament and you'll get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars only on DraftKings 
with code PFF. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued as 10 DK dollars. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. And August 9th, 2023. Nailed it. You said it couldn't be done, Sam. You said it couldn't be done on our last show. Mm -hmm. Sitting here practicing all weekend, and I nailed it. I mean, the hard work pays off. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So you mentioned the Eagles, right? Like, what if they threw their name in the Jonathan Taylor? But they wouldn't because they've already got potentially the same kind of impact from like Rashad Penny. What if? What if though? Let's think about this for a minute here. We're just one year removed from the San Francisco 49ers trading first round pick Mm. for Christian McCaffrey. So we've, the league has been trending this way. Like let's not pay running backs. Let's not do this whole thing, but there's still a taker every now and again. There's still a person. There's still a team. What if you're the Eagles? And the other name I want to throw in there is the Ravens. The Ravens. Yes. If you're a team that has the ecosystem to create, say, a 2,000-yard rusher uh-huh. or a 20-touchdown season, right, could you – let's say you trade a third for Jonathan Taylor. You trade a third-round pick because who the heck knows what, who's going to th- trade a first or a second for Taylor. I know a team just did for McCaffrey, but like you said, we're at just before the season. Is anybody really going to do that? What if the Ravens or the Eagles get Jonathan Taylor, you trade a third for him – you plug him into that system. With Baltimore, you're dealing with J.K. Dobbins and his injuries uh, history. With the Eagles, as, as great as their offseason was, here, bring in Rashad Penny, bring in these cheap running backs. You're still dealing with Rashad Penny's injury history. Jonathan Taylor goes to these teams. He's going to run for 1,500 to 2,000 yards. they got the offensive line. They have the system. They have running quarterbacks who are going to help him. And then you're kind of trying to make someone else bite at the end of the year. He walks. Somebody pays him. 14 15 million maybe you get a comp pick back I, and i know the market's not going that way but that's kind of like the risk right you're going to take one year of production it will upgrade your team for whatever we say about running backs it will upgrade a team in it, its teams that will use the running back in a high volume situation it's a good situation for him to put up numbers and then you let him walk yeah i mean it it, it does kind of depend what the compensation ends up being because if it is a mid-round pick you get closer to justifying that one-year rental type of deal. Now, you got to kind of wonder if you're Jonathan Taylor. Like, if you're unhappy and you want the extension now, you're probably also unhappy in a new venue if they're not giving you an extension. So are you— Got to correct myself really quick. Second, third, fourth round picks. Right. If you are are willing to— If you're willing to hold out or hold in and, you know, make the kind of noise that Jonathan Taylor is currently making— presumably you're not going to be any more willing to play for a team that isn't giving you the contract extension just because you got traded there. Like, you want your money now. You want the extension. You want the safety. You want the, um, you know, the comfort, the guarantee of knowing that you're set, right? So I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's even an option, the idea of trading for him on a one-year rental without having an extension worked out or without being prepared to do that because we don't know if he's going to do that at all. If it was, like if that was an option, the idea of 
the one-year rental thing, that I think puts a few teams potentially on the table as kind of let's roll the dice. Let's go all in a little bit this year and let's try and make something happen. And the team that would be most interesting in that regard for me is Dallas. Oh. So Tony Pollard coming off his injury, which I think is probably irrelevant, but has never really had the workload, right? Never been given the option to carry load because Zeke Elliott has been there and they've they steadfastly insisted on minimum splitting that pretty equally. What if Jonathan Taylor comes in to be the Zeke Elliott of that dynamic, keep Pollard as the change of pace guy in Dallas, and now, yeah, you've got a ton invested in the running back. You can argue you're making the same mistake over again, but if you can do it for the one-year rental, now you're just sort of rolling the dice that adding Jonathan Taylor to that backfield is what propels Dallas to the point of, you know, Philadelphia, San Francisco, like puts them into that category of as good as anything in the NFC and really targeting a weak conference to make the Super Bowl and, you know, try and get over the hump that they haven't been able to get over for years. That's an interesting one, man. I I think the one-year thing is fine. Your point is also a fair one, right? Like, why would Jonathan Taylor go somewhere else and not have that long-term deal that he wants in Indianapolis? Well, I guess the if you're the the two teams I mentioned, the Ravens or the Eagles, you'd be like, look, come join. Look at our system. Look, you're going to shine here. Look what's going to happen at the end of the season. You make it through this season, you'll have 1,500 to 2,000 yards and 20 touchdowns. Like, that's that's the reality if you're an Eagle or if you're a Raven. And then you go to the market. We can't, we can't guarantee that for you right now, you know? But, like, Taylor doesn't have – he doesn't have leverage. None of these guys have leverage is the problem because right. as good as Jonathan Taylor is, even the best running backs are in their prime and they're not getting re-signed. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a lot of what, what are the options. Do you do you accept just like one-year extensions basically like Saquon Barkley where teams are saying, yeah, I'll take you for five years, but then I'm done. Do you chase longevity? Like we've, we've talked about all these other potential solutions, but they don't really – running backs just don't have leverage right now. By the way, did you uh, – we did – we. I can't believe we neglected to read out Jim Irsay's quote. Oh, man. I need to find that. Just read his entire Twitter account. Yeah, but the quote specifically was like some first-rate madness. Oh, here we go. You want it? Yes. Jim Irsay, quote, If I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor is out of the league, no one's going to miss us. The league goes on. We know that. The National Football League rolls on. It doesn't matter who comes and who goes, and it's a privilege to be a part of it. End quote. <laughs> I mean, this is right up there with Kyle Shanahan being like, yeah. I mean, why would I name a quarterback for next week? We might not, not even be here. Might not even be here. Yeah. I mean, that that's a great negotiating tactic, though. Who cares about the money? Madness. We could all die tomorrow. I mean, that's easy to say. Right. When why are we sitting here negotiating a contract, Jonathan? It's like those people that's, you know, the, it's, it's a very easy thing to say when you've got fistfuls of money coming, you know, everywhere. Like, <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about money in this household. It's usually said by people that have a lot of money, you know? This is a similar idea. Because like, yeah, money doesn't buy happiness. Cares about the money? I've been trying to tell you that. Well, okay, then give me more. I mean, if it's so irrelevant, throw some my way. I would if I could. I'd yeah. start a company. I and- mean, that's a first-rate, like, string of consciousness, like, string of lunacy. Like that's that's some high level billionaireing. That's what you say after a couple of nights of really good billionaireing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got some gems through the years. He, well, that's true. And then Jonathan Taylor is basically like, uh, I don't know what these rumors are. Not hurt. Never been hurt. That right. so now it's starting to get 
personal. Yeah. Well, because that's, I mean. But, but this is why a good team can swoop in and be like, Jonathan, we won't get personal with you. But this is the, so this is the issue with the only, because of all those egregious fines that we talked about before, which don't apply to somebody that hasn't uh, signed their franchise tag, but do apply to Jonathan Taylor, who is under contract, he can't hold out. He has to hold in of some description, right? Which is, which means show up to camp, but find some reason that you can't do your job, right? The phantom ankle injury that you developed during baseball. I had a, I had a calf. Whatever. The point is, you have to find some sort of fake injury that you can hold in and not do work, but actually not get fined for it. Um, the counter to that is essentially what the Colts are doing, which is saying, oh, well, this injury showed up something outside of football, so we can put you on the non-football injury list, and your entire salary this year is jeopardized. You might not get paid at all. So that's the, like, the, the power struggle going on here. Um, but ultimately, I can't really see a team being willing to give up much, if anything, unless they're convinced that they can do this one-year rental thing. I simply can't see anybody wanting to give up anything knowing that they're going to have to give him like a $15 million a year type of contract. I think the days of those deals are almost completely behind us now. And unless you have like this scenario playing out after the 2021 season that Taylor had, I just don't think the stars are going to align enough for somebody to get that kind of contract. So I, I don't see him getting it from the Colts. Like this isn't, they're not, this, they're not, this isn't motivating them to go, oh, okay, cool. Here's your contract. They're going to dig their heels in. Somebody else needs to be convinced that they can get him without having to give him that deal. And I don't really see that happening either. Who would be willing to pay? Would a team like the Bears, they still have more money to spend. They still have to get back to the floor, right? The Bears, because look, remember, I said this around draft time. I said, I am, it's easier for me to buy into the running back situation when you put him with a good running quarterback because you're at least you're at least adding a schematic advantage. And I thought the Colts might have that with Anthony Richardson and right. Jonathan Taylor. Which is another reason that they're going to dig their heels in and not let him leave for, you know, nothing. Yeah, I mean, that should – Taylor would be primed to have another big year just by having Anthony Richardson there, having a healthy offensive line. Like, the Colts should be back on track, right? Um, but I'd be, I'd be curious if the Bears with Justin Fields, like the, the Bears might – would they budge and – and maybe just, make the investment? I mean, they just gave David Montgomery decent money. Not like, the Bears. The Bears uh, oh, the Lions got him. So who, yeah. the, the Bears signed somebody, though, right? The, who? Why is this? You ever forget everything? This is why I said we need an off-season recap show. I told you you months. need an off-season recap show because sometimes you're – You forget everything. You're just stuck in, like, place. lake mode or beach mode in the summer. They've got Khalil Herbert and uh, Dante Foreman and Rashawn Johnson in the draft. Okay, so they drafted Rashawn Johnson. They've signed – Dante Foreman. Like on paper, it's actually one of the worst running back situations in the NFL. No, it's true. They've got room for Khalil Herbert. Or they've got room for um, Jonathan, for Taylor, Jonathan Taylor because Khalil Herbert is their lead back. I just the, – the reason the, the Bears don't strike me as a great connection is because they just spent so much effort like clearing the cap situation to get the money to then spend it on a running back feels ill-advised. Having said that – I mean, I didn't think they would spend the kind of, like, I didn't think they would clear all the space to then go and sign Tremaine Edmonds to a market-leading deal either, like, as the first move. So, maybe. But they've definitely got the money to make it happen. And you can construct an argument that, in theory, their running game should function, right? They don't need 
Like, they won't fall at that first hurdle. Does your running game already work? Yes, it should be fine. So Taylor being added to that does make some sense. Yeah, I, I know that the, the running quarterback is already going to make the, the running back, the running game good, but the reason why I bring these up is like the Ravens chasing J.K. Dobbins a couple years ago when they were already making the Gus bus a five yards per carry guy. They want to chase six yards per carry. There, there is a world where the running back, the running game can be so efficient. And if you do have a guy like Jonathan Taylor, he is very much like Nick Chubb, I think, where he's very good in all schemes, zone, gap. He's going to get your basic yards, but he also has home run hitting ability. He is, he is very similar to Chubb, I think, in that respect. And now you're talking about bringing, you know, potential four and a half, five yards per attempt to like ridiculous numbers in the right system. I think that might be appealing for the right teams here. Eagles and Ravens. I'd go get, I'd, I might trade a three. A three. <laughs> for Jonathan Taylor. Uh-huh. I mean, where's the market? That's the problem. I think he's going to end up having to stay there and, you know, get through this year. I mean, this is, we saw what happened the last time hardball was played from a running back. Like, Saquon Barkley ends up coming back, re-signing for effectively the franchise tag, plus 900K of incentives. And to give up or to do that, he had to agree to show up to training camp and essentially risk hell for a month. Like, they have no leverage at all. So if that runs the same way, Jonathan Taylor's going to have to suck it up, show back up. Maybe he'll hold in during training camp, but at some point he's going to have to show up and play and then hope that he cashes in next offseason. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the other big injuries around the NFL. But if you haven't heard already, right now it's smooth sack summer, Sam. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're escaped from pubes to bum. Mm. Yes. That's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming are making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving your pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into Smooth Sack Summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. Someone already did, as I mentioned, Austin in the email, big fan of Manscaped, bought it because of us. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, it has everything you need to prepare for that summer bod. They have the built-in ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. Their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade, ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, and it gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. It's also waterproof. Beach, lake, shower. This razor will devour even the strongest pubes. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0. It's the Manscaped Boxer Briefs, or Boxers, sorry, and the Shed Travel Pack. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscapes.com. It's smooth sack summer, boys. Get on board or get left behind. I feel like my summer's over, though, really. Yeah? Yeah. August used to be summer, but now it's like back to work, football, mm. you know? Weather-wise, it's weird, though, because it seems to be extending the other way. Like, oh, it's very summery. Right. The, very lot, the, the weather is going deeper into the year. A lot of rain, a lot of hot. <laughs> a lot of rain, a lot of hot. Um, Joe Burrow had a calf injury the other day. And as much as we've joked and mocked about calf injuries, they're... Uh, well, when they're fake, it's not a problem. When they're real, no. it's a potentially big problem. I do call myself a calf injury survivor because, yeah, if you're looking at the transaction history, I was on the, what we used to call disabled list, now the injured list, mm. with a calf injury back in 2010. Right. It was not real. No. But I'm a survivor of a calf injury. By the way, so 
Do you feel like, do we have any data on this? I got to look this up. Haven't there been way more calf injuries the last year or two? Way more. I mean, there's calf certainly injuries. been way more in the last week or two, and that I can think of two. Which last is year I was calling it the year of the calf injury. <laughs> I can think of for a while. Um, just a quick, uh, a quick tangent. Love these. Yeah, yeah. You were saying that you know we've had a lot of hot and a lot of wet, right? In terms of weather, uh, what that creates is a lot of growth in vegetation, specifically lawn vegetation. Yeah. Right. And we're in this classic example. You know the way like when you go to the store. And it's like, do I take all these bags in one trip or do I make multiple trips? And if you're male, you almost invariably try and do it as few trips as possible. Obviously, yeah. Which is clearly a false economy because what you do is like ruin your hands and or the rest of you try to take a million bags at once yeah. when you could just make multiple trips and save yourself time. Bag might break. I find that I am susceptible to doing the same thing when it comes to mowing the grass, right? It's like you leave it for a period of time and then the longer you leave it, the worse it gets and... The harder it gets, now, this gets complicated, and you won't know this because you don't, well, I would hope you don't know this, but when you have a dog, the dog craps in the backyard, the longer you leave it, not only does the worse it get in terms of like frequency of dog craps in the backyard, but the difficulty in identifying them becomes more harder when the lawn grows, right? So I finally was like, I have to cut the grass this week, last weekend, this weekend, uh, because it had gotten so bad. And... You're kind of shamed into it at this point, particularly the front, you know, because it's visible next to the neighbors. It's embarrassing. And we live in a place where there's no, like, fence delineating. There's just, like, a line that you mow to. So it's obvious when you haven't mowed it for a while because the person next to you has, and you can see the line where they stopped and, you know, you just let everybody down. look terrible. Right, so you get shamed into doing it. But I feel like, so sometimes I'll mow the front just to look like I'm okay, and then the back just, eh, they can't see. Let it go. Anyway, problem is... That had gotten pretty bad, and there's dog crap in there that I hadn't cleaned up, which is difficult to identify now. So what I, had, what I had essentially succeeded in achieving was to booby trap my own back garden with shit mines. So you just mowed it all? No, I mean, I tried to get what I could before, but you know there's more in there, and you'll only, you'll only figure them out when you, like, go over the top of them. You're like, oh, look, there. There's a dog crap I didn't find beforehand. Just chopping it up and spreading it everywhere. Yeah. So bad is what I'm saying. Fertilizer. Don't don't allow yourself to be suckered into the false economy that will result in creating a minefield of dog poo in your back garden. <laughs> My kids don't poop in the backyard. That's what I'm saying. I yeah. would hope that you don't know this as a concept. We but don't it's possible. Uh, we don't make that public, but we have a little, you know, text <laughs> chain going back and forth and it's you know, in jest, you know, what's more difficult? A dog or multiple kids? Yeah. You know. Cue one up for the kids here. Theoretically, yeah. Theoretically, right. Yeah. Assuming they're not taking craps in the backyard. Uh, not recently. Not recently. <laughs> there was a point where my kids, because they had the pool in the backyard, they thought they could just pee in the backyard at any point because they could, you know, because one day they did because they had the pool in the backyard. So there was one point for like a few weeks where the kid like wouldn't come in. Like, no, I just go right here. I'm like, no, no, no. That's only when you get your bathing suit on and, you know, in the pool. And, but it's just, you know, it's pee. It's yeah. July discussions. It's good stuff. <laughs> anyway, calf injuries. They're not great. No. Uh, so Joe Burrow's got a calf injury. Which looked terrifying when he did it. Like, non, the, it was the classic non-contact injury. You know, guy's running and suddenly just hobbles to a, to a stop. And you're like, uh-oh. And when it's a calf, I mean, the armchair doctors amongst us are like, wow, that looks like an Achilles. 
you know, just pop, man stops, can't put weight on it, that looks bad. Um, and it turns out, so almost immediately they were like, no, it's a calf injury, you know, he'll be down a few weeks or whatever. But, I mean, the calf is connected to the Achilles. You know, this is, they can linger quite a long period of time depending on what exactly is wrong with them. So whilst it's good that nothing catastrophic popped for Joe Burrow, it's not exactly great news that it's a calf injury and he'll be down for an unspecified period of time. The good news is it is training camp preseason. They can put him on the shelf for a while and it's not like, you know, we're not losing anything necessarily. So they are, they do tend to recur. And I was, as I'm joking about, it does feel like there's way more calf injuries. I'm not an expert on this whole thing, but let's just, here's what I'm seeing. I've said a couple times on the show here, our players have has has the players union fought so hard for player safety which is generally in the form of fewer head head shots right fewer hits to the head less uh, fewer padded practices and not like the old school training camp remember you'd have two a days and you'd be double pads and you know everybody spoke longingly about the good old days where the players were tortured for the first two weeks of training camp that's all it was was pure mental and physical torture so players have fought against that for years, and that has been their main focus in the CBA. And now what's the fallout from that? I'm not, and again, I'm not criticizing that stance whatsoever. The you know, brain injuries, head injuries, fewer concussions, uh, less wear and tear, well worth fighting for. Is there another, is there fallout there though, where the NFL's trying to have this ramp up period, they're, they're trying everything they, do, they can now to have fewer lower leg injuries and all these other, you know, strains and things that aren't, they're not like, you know, long-term debilitating or anything like that, but they're short-term issues for just being on the field, the quality of the sport and things like that. Are, you know, is that, is that kind of the cost of what they've fought for, which is fewer just off-season everything, right? Off-season uh, OTAs, organized team activities at any point during the season, fewer practices, easier training camp is the cost now, things like the lower leg injuries that are coming up. Yeah. I've got a little thread I want to I don't know. Like skim. The NFL, I mean, we talked about this a little bit when Vic was on the podcast when we were talking about injuries and stuff. The NFL doesn't seem to be great when it comes to soft tissue injuries. Like, I compare it to rugby. Not you one on the tally. Um Rugby doesn't get many of those anymore. Like, they've been wearing the, you know, the GPS stuff for years, like way before the NFL has been doing this stuff. And I think rugby has been very far ahead in terms of understanding load management, that loaded term now, and like when a guy is actually in danger of pulling something, you know, doing a calf, doing a hamstring, doing a quad, whatever it is. You very rarely hear anymore about those kind of soft tissue injuries where it's just because you've overloaded the guy whereas in the nfl it still seems to be relatively prevalent i don't know if that's a product of we only have limited practice time so you kind of need to be out there doing your thing i can't give you the practice off because that's when you have you know we can literally count in a double digit number how many practices we have before we're playing a game for real so if we're debating do you miss this one do you play this one you're going to be practicing because i kind of need this um Maybe that is the inevitable product of that. But generally speaking, Zach Taylor, I think, should get quite a lot of credit for his that load management concept. Like, he generally has been pretty good at protecting players. 
So maybe the Burrow thing is just a freak accident, you know, not accident, freak occurrence. And they're going to do a good job now in terms of keeping him on the shelf and not risking him to anything. Um, but it's a worry for the Bengals. Um, he had a calf sleeve on. Yeah, already. Prior to that. So Which suggests that he was at least like aware that something was on the borderline and played through it. Something was tweaked uh, prior to that. So um, I just want to read what Doc Flynn, Doc, uh, at Doc Flynn NFL, this is Jessica Flynn. Um, she works for various places, 3013, Boston uh, Sports Journal. Um, I just want to skim this eight-part thread with a little bit of background here. She says, NFL training camp lower extremity, or LEX, L-E-X. Muscle strains have a huge cost. Players miss more time due to LEX strains than any other injury. So if you didn't care much about the calf, groin, or hamstring strains this time of year, you should, basically. Um, the NFL player health and safety has seen a disproportionately large number of LEX strains in training camp in the early preseason. That's over 30%. And those injuries spiked again when pads came on, but it's only preseason, right? Nope, that's wrong. Lex strains account for a ton of lost player time, and they recur at a rate over 30% during the regular season. So this is notable for Burrow, right. the types of things that could recur. So, you know, when you see Joe Burrow practicing with a calf sleeve and suffering an acute calf strain, restrain, it's not nothing. This is why Player Health and Safety Committee mandated some changes to training camp ramp-up schedule. Um, and basically she just goes into why they have to ramp things up and – um, how they had made made gains in previous years because of that. So it's not something that they're they're not working on, but um, you know it's something to to really keep an eye on because this is you're, you're cutting down probably on concussions and you know head injuries and everything, but less practice time. You have to be careful with some of these other strains here. Yeah, um, I, I mean, so is he going to be like? What do you do if you're the Bengals? They're talking about like a seven week injury that puts you right at the beginning of the regular season it, it sounds weird but like the 17th game it's just one week but it, it doesn't it make the the season just feel longer like feel like a little bit more of a grind in a 17 game schedule are you more likely to sit a player once or twice to make sure that you're gonna get I mean, through the year i just think okay the afc is brutal the afc north is brutal it's not a given that Cincinnati makes it out of that division at all, even though we think that they're a Super Bowl contender. That's just the reality of the whole dynamics at the moment with the AFC. That being said, it's more important for Joe Burrow to be there in December and January than it is for him to be there in September, you know? So even though the backup is Trevor Simeon, if we're even remotely in the realm of doubt, play Trevor Simeon for the first two weeks if you have to like I, I mean it's not the same degree of extreme but I kind of treat him the same way I treat you know Von Miller for Buffalo I don't need Von Miller in September I need Von Miller in January so if I have to sacrifice September to get him in January that's what I'm going to do now that's easier for Buffalo because you expect to win games in September even without Von Miller whereas if Cincinnati is starting Trevor Simeon it's absolutely no guarantee they're winning any games right but i think they have to take that approach of banking on the fact that they're good enough without joe burrow for a few weeks if that needs to happen because they need they can't win with trevor simeon against patrick mahomes they can't win with trevor simeon against you know any of the other afc powerhouses in the playoffs so you need burrow back for those like and if you need to say you know we'll run the risk for two three weeks at the start of the season fine like just do that I also wonder if you're a team like the Bengals, what is the with with only one buy, right? Is it are you 
less inclined to push for just when there's two buys a few years ago really valuable to get that that home field advantage really valuable to get the one buy right now but it's it's also less likely so you're in a in a conference with the chiefs and the bills and all these other teams competing for the one buy is the most important thing just let's focus on the division let's just get to the playoffs we get to the playoffs joe burrow's healthy that's the most important thing for us I think you're more inclined to do that with only one buy, the extra playoff team. You're more likely to just say, let's just make sure we get into the tournament and then yeah. and then go. That's the thing. Like if I think the the bye week, the number one seed is still really important. Of course. Like and you know, Patrick Mahomes talked about this on quarterback, the Netflix thing. Like if you can get that, it's still huge. But if you're looking in the AFC, you're gonna have to play these teams anyway. Like, you know, we joked about it before with the Rugby World Cup, right? Ireland have gotten hosed in the, the draw. They're probably going to have to face one of the top two teams in the world in the quarterfinals. Sad. Very sad. And, you know, your point was, well, they're going to have to beat them anyway, right? Now, it's not necessarily true. <laughs> if they got on the other side of the draw, they might not have to face a good team until they got to the final, right? In the AFC, there's no easy path now. There's too many good teams. You're going to have to beat one, if not all, of Buffalo, Kansas City, you know, my, like all these good teams. So the buy is huge because you can take one off the slate. You have to play one fewer. On the other hand, you're still going to have to play, you know, at least two of them. So you might as well, like the being able to be there is the important thing. And if you need to risk, like if you need to sacrifice seating to make that happen, fine. All right, so the other big injury, there's a few of them, but uh, Jalen Ramsey with a meniscus he already has surgery on his meniscus and initially he's got this he's got this knee injury the reports are okay there's no acl tear or anything like that this could be a four to six week injury and then rap sheet tweets out the other day they did the surgery jalen ramsey's working to get back for december a full meniscus repair full meniscus repair rap sheet also copied and pasted the agent tweet that is like, this is why the agents negotiate fully guaranteed. This is why. Good mm. job. Very good job by uh, the people that feed me this information. Very good <laughs> job. The people that tip me off to uh, news, I am, uh, you guys are great at your job. Mm -hmm. Just wanted to say, great negotiating. Well, the se yeah, the second half of that tweet is, while it takes him off the field for the first half of 2023, it's the best long-term health option for Ramsey. It likely lengthens his career. That's a good, you know. I always thought that when I got injuries. You know, it, it's a bummer, but this will lengthen my career. This is a good thing. I should be grateful for this knee injury. Yeah, then you tweeted it out. Don't yeah. worry, guys. Extended my career. So, but the funny thing is there's a, there's like, there's disagreement as to how long this guy is going to be out amongst the medical community, you know, the, the Twitter medical people. Art, not science. Right. Um, one person was like, Ramsey likely out three to four months. Uh, don't see the... the dips we wouldn't expect to hit for Ramsey when he does return. So essentially backing up the rap sheet report fed from the agent. Uh, Dr. David Chow uh, quote tweeted the rap sheet thing saying lucky to play at all this season. So this Ramsey thing could be keeping him out until December or could keep him off the field completely this year and the Ramsey signing from Miami, the great season that we were expecting to happen is put on hold until next year. Oh man, I was looking at some numbers recently that had... Uh Miami looking really strong. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I mean they already look really strong, but a big part of that's Ramsey. And we don't get to see Ramsey in Vic Fangio's defense with Xavier Howard on the other side. Real bummer, aside from anything else. Like, that forget is, how long yes. he's out for. The fact that we're not going to see it at the minimum for the first three months of the season I know, sucks. I know. It is. It's rough, man. Because And then in that division, right? Ramsey in that Fangio defense against Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, against Josh Allen and the Bills. like All of that stuff was was really exciting to see. I think it also points back to, remember, the Dolphins did not have that many draft picks. Their first pick was in the second round, and they picked Cam Smith, the cornerback out of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. It didn't look like a need whatsoever. They had just signed Jalen Ramsey. They have Xavier Howard. They have both of those guys locked up. Um, they've got a pretty deep cornerback room, and they still draft Cam Smith. I think it always points back to making sure that you're drafting the best players, not necessarily for need. Um, they did just sign Eli Apple to maybe uh, play on the outside and compete. To a team that has Tyree Hill on the roster. Oh, that's right. I didn't even realize that. That's yeah. going to be great. Tyree Hill It'll tweeted. be locker mates. Well, he tweeted out something like, practice on Monday is going to be interesting. And Jalen Ramsey was like, play nice, kids. You know, settle down. <laughs> let's, not, <laughs> let's not reignite that. This is why you need to know the social media history. Mm. That's why this stuff's important. That's why we break it down for all of our listeners. The downside, so they've done a good job in terms of contingency, like the Cam Smith thing, and he's played inside before. I just, I don't like him in that role necessarily. Like, I don't like him as a direct replacement for Jalen Ramsey if Jalen Ramsey was going to play inside and, you know, do what he did the last couple of years for the Rams in Vic Fangio's system. Cam Smith can do that. He did it his final season in college. Better outside, I just don't though. think he's as good at it as he is playing outside. So they're better equipped to deal with that than other teams, but I don't like that as a solution if that's what it is. Yeah, I, it is. Uh, man, I hate these injuries. No one else get hurt mm. for the rest of the preseason. Right. Stop that. We want to watch the best football. It does suck. I'm like rooting how, for the football. How quickly, you know, training camp's back. Everyone's, you know, jazzed yeah. for football. There's highlight videos everywhere. And then, like, immediately, like, bam, injury, bam, injury. God, come on. Stop it. I want to watch the best football. So I don't want to see guys like Jalen Ramsey get hurt. It's not fun. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a big blow to the Dolphins. And, um, again, they've got – they have some depth there, but it's not – man, it's not going to be the same because Ramsey can still play. And, uh, you know, that's the you know, older players get hurt a little bit more. And when, you, when you're when you taking chances on older players, not that he's that old, but, you know, some of that stuff comes with the territory. I mean, I would, again, I would I'd put him in the same kind of category as the Von Miller thing. Like, if they can get him back just for the playoffs, that's huge. The difference being, at least now, you expect Miami to be a little bit more on the playoff bubble than you do Buffalo. Right. So if they're, if they're in the middle of December, you know, week 15 – three games left, there's going to be temptation to push him out there to get them into the playoffs in a way that Buffalo theoretically shouldn't need to do. Like, Buffalo could probably look at this and say, Von Miller doesn't need to take a snap until January. We don't need it to happen. We're going to make the playoffs anyway. Maybe it'll affect seeding, but, you know, it's more important to have him there. In January, we should have that locked up. Miami, and they may be better than I'm expecting them to be, or they may you know, get the right end of results early on that they're going to be in a different position. But, you know, if it's like last season, Miami's going to be looking at those last three games going, God, we could do with Jalen Ramsey being back out there. How close is he? You know, can we get him out there in week 16? That's where you run into danger. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get, hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later. Was there any, 
other I want to talk Danell Hunter mm-hmm. um, signing with the Vikings after being on the trading block. But is there anything else injury wise that we're missing here? Uh, not injury wise, I don't think. Or news wise. News wise is a couple bits. So do your Danell Hunter thing, and then there was something else I want to talk about. So on Saturday. All the rage was, all right, Danelle Hunter's back on the trading block, and you know who are the who are the suitors, where should he go? And then on Sunday, the Vikings locked him up for a year at least. Yeah, with a no tag clause. Yeah, I, look, I told you there there are some numbers I've looked at recently too that like the Vikings. I'm going to be sneaky high on the Vikings. I think this year I'm yeah. going to be influenced by the Numbas. The Numbas, as our old boss used to say, I might. Be influenced by the numbers here on uh, on the Vikings. What numbers exactly? A little internal metric we have in projecting teams. Which is doing what? IQ exclusive. IQ exclusive. Just looking at the players. We're projecting projecting war. A little projected war. Projected war. Huh? Yeah. Okay. And uh, it likes the Vikings both because, um, you know, Cousins has graded well and been on the field and consistent, so he projects pretty decently. But even uh, like the, I looked at the quarterback and non-quarterback situations. Yeah. You're getting – it likes the value on the offensive line. Of course, Justin Jefferson is going to be a huge piece of that. But then I think it's like the sneaky good ads of uh, Marcus Davenport for just this year. You know, Davenport projects pretty well. Is it at all concerned by their cornerback depth chart, which is <laughs> – Well, part of it I think projects like guys like Makai Bl- uh, Blackman really well because yeah. you know, it's, it's adjacent to my draft model. Which Who liked Black currently is not slated to start. No, I understand that, yeah. but he'd, he'd have to be on there, right? right. So, so Look, I neither. In fact, I'm so not saying anything set in stone. Their last two kind of encouraging cornerback draft picks of Makai Blackman and Andrew Booth, neither of whom are currently starting for them. We don't know who's really going to be starting. Yet. No, they but just I mean, Byron Murphy, who's a solid player. But now we're in this world of we get to see who's running with the ones in training camp. Therefore, we project starting based off six practices. Yeah, Jawan Williams, Caleb uh, Evans. Yeah, and Byron Murphy. That's your starting Byron Murphy. trio. That's a little bit worrying. Yeah, I understand. I'm not like I'm not saying they're winning the Super Bowl or anything. I just might be higher on them than I thought. Where it was going to be this whole, hey, they're, you know, they're not going to win as many games. They won't win all those close games. Maybe, uh, maybe they're going to play better. It's fine this you, year. You know, don't don't shy away from your. But the Danelle Hunter move, I think, helps a lot. Having Hunt, it'll be really interesting because. Hunter and Hunter's got the one year remaining now, mm-hmm. and Marcus Davenport was a one year signing. The Vikings are playing this well, this both. long game. They'll get a year of production out of both guys. Do they let both guys walk? Are they are they working this comp pick game to try to replenish the roster? But I think for this year, those guys were you know could be an interesting tandem having Hunter and Davenport. And you, they're both on sort of prove it deals. Yeah, like if either one of them wants the giant payday next year, they kind of need to come off this season with a really good year. Like hit the open market for Hunter he will hit it because they can't tag him or so if they don't lock him up he's hitting the open market and for Marcus Davenport theoretically that's what's going to happen as well so each one of those guys is motivated to have a really good year because if they don't they're not getting the giant payday they're looking for I think I just think we're finally getting into (coughs) Kwesi's mind just a little bit here because you, you they get rid of Dalvin Cook they made a trade for TJ Hawkinson apparently you know last year the discussion with Kevin O'Connell and Kwesi about the importance of a tight end. I think we saw Hawkinson as a really valuable piece, specifically in games where Justin Jefferson was taken away. So you got a full year of Hawkinson now. That's where the Vikings have chosen to invest at, at, at pass catcher, basically. They spent a lot of money on tight end two 
in Josh Oliver. Um, and then they haven't spent a ton of money at uh, at edge on two players where you could have locked them up long-term, Danelle Hunter or Marcus Davenport, and instead they've got them on, like you said, the one-year prove-it deals where maybe they're going to say, we're going to get the value out of these guys, let the, let the rest of the league pay them, get the comp picks, and replenish the roster that way. I, I think we're starting to see some of uh, Kwesi's economic background, or at least like his his style, his um, his decision-making come through in the roster here. And I'm also interested because they got, a, you know, Eric Kendricks, they're getting rid of veterans for younger players. And, of course, for them to be good, you need the Brian Asamoas of the world. You need the Andrew Boots of the world, These their young uh, draft picks over the last couple of years to step up and play well. This is an old-school NFL strategy to let veterans walk, let the young players take over. We'll see how it plays out for the Vikings. They might be a little underrated. They might go be a into little this underrated. Year. The quarterback room in that system with Brian Flores, unless he adjusts, He's a 40-50% man coverage type of guy historically. If he doesn't adjust, might be rough. That part's going to be fascinating. Like Will how, Flores adjust a little bit? Right, how, they, how Flores actually sets up that defense. Now, you can argue, and there's data to say this, that simply changing a bad, a bad uh, producing system is beneficial. Even It doesn't matter what you're changing it to. Right, Simply change for change's sake when things are in a rut is a good thing. So the Vikings getting rid of... Donatel shifting defense coordinators is the important part kind of like it didn't like Doug Peterson how much of it is Doug Peterson being really good and how much of it is Doug Peterson simply not being Urban Meyer and hoofing his own kickers up the ass during like camp like that's a real question so for Flores not being Ed Donatel is a positive now the question becomes how much of a positive is he actually adding on top of that with a complete 180 in terms of system and scheme and all those kinds of things. And what can he create out of this defense? That, I think, is an interesting thing. There was a, Somebody tweeted this at us. There was an interesting article that effectively said that Flores and Chan Gailey got together when he was at Miami and created an offense using, not using PFF data, but they did a bit of a more sophisticated version of your thing where you like ran the thing, oh, look, Let's just play coverage, cover the gaps, cover the hot spots. Yes. They kind of did that, but for offense. They looked through this and were like, the only way this offense survives is if we run RPOs every play. And that's what they did. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Flores, I could, I've heard some things about Flores. I could see him uh, liking the PFF data. That's all. Mm. Might be a PFF guy. Okay. Might be, uh, might be into our data for whatever reason. So that's cool. Yeah. I would, yeah, defense, you just cover where they throw the ball. Just go where they That's all you have to do. Uh, by the way, I think we should end every show the way I did last week, which, which is just read the training camp reports and buzz and tweets. Yeah. I think it's a great way to finish the show, at least. Okay. And react to them. Well, so what I was going to What ask, else did you want to bring up? Uh, well, okay, a couple of bits. Um, did you see – well, you did see because we talked about this. But one of my favorite pieces of training camp news so far was the initial report that Darnell Wright – came camp in phenomenal shape, right? Just oh, been yeah. working out in the offseason, crushed it, dominated the uh, the conditioning test that everybody does when they're the first day back, you know, to see where where are we in terms of your, your shape and all those kinds of things. It later emerged that the reason he was so amazingly good at the conditioning test was because he, he looked at the requirements and mistakenly read the wide receiver conditioning test and so was prepped for to do that. <laughs> Which, when you're prepped to do the wide receiver conditioning drill, the offensive line conditioning drill apparently is a breeze. I'm sure it's a lot easier yeah. than what the receivers have to do. So, apparently that was the story. Darnell Wright 
crushed the conditioning test because he was prepped to do the receiver one. That's fantastic. Yeah. Man, my... On the other hand, it would raise some questions about what kind of details guy he is. <laughs> What's more important? When you're reading the playbook, are you actually, you know, reading it? Or you just get the general gist? What if week one he starts running out routes? It's like, no, man, you're pass blocked <laughs> on this play. <laughs> like, what if he zones left instead of right? Just like, the details of these things are important. Oh, it's a good story. I like that. It was it a might, good... I, li- I did like that. I don't know if that helps or hurts my Darnell Wright projections. Yeah. Where I'm... I was lower on him. Uh-huh. But they were like, let's the do data that. data was lower let's on Let's do Darnell. that again. He's, he's in incredible shape. That's fantastic. Uh, and what other bits of interesting news were there? Um, oh, yeah. So the other thing I wanted to say was effectively, or wanted to ask, talk about. We've got, you know, a few days into camp. There's various bits of highlight reels and, you know, blah, blah, blah. What's real and what's fake? You know, we talked before, don't fall into these landmines of training camp hype. There are things that are going to show up. You know what they are. They're going to be coming and you're going to buy into some of them. Is there anything out there at the moment that you are actually very close to buying, even though you know it's probably silly? I don't think I have a good feel for... I don't know if I have like a good list of, like here are the five or ten things that are most common that I'm hearing. I mocked this previously. Give me the list. I mean, Garrett Wilson's... Not even the list. I mocked this previously. I think it's... I'm getting close to think there might be substance to it. The, The Justin Ross thing might be real. So Justin Ross, wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs, second-year player. Uh, he went undrafted, right? Yes. Guy with an incre- like ridiculously unfortunate injury history. His Clemson. best year was his freshman year at Clemson. Right. Yeah. Then a very long list of injuries, but he's like 6'4", 215 pounds, was supposedly going to be you know an elite wide receiver prospect, but injuries took that away from him. Chiefs pick him up as an undrafted rookie. Last year, there was a bit of training camp buzz. That's, oh, this guy, Justin Ross, like – the Chiefs are going to found a, a steal, you know, with Mahomes, blah, blah. And then it was happening again early this camp. We predicted that. I tweeted out something like he's going to be, you know, the next generation's Dante Moncrief. Every year you're going to see the training camp buzz about this guy. But given the state of that wide receiver room, I'm kind of buying that it might, it might manifest. Like he's got yeah. a skill set that they don't have outside of that. He's got Mahomes throwing him the ball. He's starting to get some play with the ones. Like, you know, things are coming together. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy at all. I could see Justin Ross. Now, the flip side of that is. complimenting him. And we'll see what happens with Kadarius Toney and Marcos Valdez-Scantling being the deep threat. The flip side of that is, you know, MVS is already entrenched as, like, one pretty key part of that thing. Kadarius Toney's not going anywhere. They're presumably going to want to ramp up Sky Moore's role, particularly in the slot with no juju. Um, Rasheed Rice has also been really impressive. Rice is also camp. getting hyped up. So we're sort of running out of roster spots. So on the one hand, you're like hyping him up going, hey, this guy could be a real factor this season for Mahomes. On the other hand, you're like, they need to carry like six or seven wide receivers for him to even make the team. But I think... Which one of those is more likely to happen? So, but I think the Chiefs proved last year that it doesn't matter now because they're not going to be as top-heavy. Um, It'll still be interesting when Travis Kelsey someday loses a step or isn't there and what that offense looks like. But I think going into last year, we said, okay, what's going to happen with the Chiefs? They're not as top-heavy. You don't rely on Tyreek Hill as much. And they spread the ball around. And they replaced – they did. They strategically tried to replace Tyreek Hill with multiple players, and they were very successful in doing that. Completely changed the offense, and it was a shorter passing attack, and they adjusted to the league. 
I don't know if it matters. I mean, they had guys like Justin Watson being productive at times. Richie James has been stealing the show at practice, too. I, they, I, and is a return guy. So Richie James has always been like a sneaky, productive player, whether it was with the Niners when he had opportunities, whether it was with the Giants. I think they're going to be fine. That's it, what I'm saying. But I'm you like, might say, hey, Justin Ross only has 30 catches this year. Did he really break out? It's like, well, it was just an opportunity thing because of all the guys he's battling against. That's what I'm saying. It's like a coin flip between he's actually a really – like a big factor in this offense and he doesn't even make it out of training camp like he's back on a practice squad because they just have a load of guys but he, there's an opportunity there for any one of them to step up and actually be a big part of this offense because their number one wide receiver you know juju uh, smith schuster is not there anymore and everybody else is some form of unknown and or role player like mvs yeah i think I, that's fair to buy into so i'm kind of buying the the Justin Ross hype like the the videos that are coming out he's making some really impressive plays he is getting time with the ones and like he does have a like he does have pedigree it's not like this is a nobody who's impressing he did have pedigree who's an injuries robbed him of right you know a a draft spot that would have had some cachet attached to it now I do I appreciate the listeners on uh who highlighted to us the other Jay Ross John hmm. retired and I got a lot of tweets my way saying, sorry, Steve, you're... I mean, look, if when I have a GM job next year... You still call him. Hey, John, you yeah. busy? We'll get him out of retirement. Right. We'll get him back. You're telling me he can't roll out of bed and catch I mean, look, 10 somebody, passes for 250 yards? Somebody picked up scores? the phone and got Jimmy Graham off the couch. You would, you know, you'd be calling John Ross every John year. Ross is twice as fast as Jimmy Graham. <laughs> so that's why. I, look, I'll call John. Next year, if Pac-Man Jones can still run a four-five-forty at forty, then John Ross can still run pretty fast. Yeah, I mean he'll probably drop from four-two-two to like four-three, but right. yeah, we'll we'll make the best of it. So uh, yeah, pour one out for John Ross. Wasn't the uh, Hall of Fame career maybe no. not like not when we poured one out for Joe Thomas. We're not gonna pour one out for John Ross, no, because he's not a Hall of Famer. But um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Do you want to read some training camp hype, or do you have other guys oh, you want God. to buy into here? No, I just I wanted to ask the question as to how much should we be buying into the Justin Ross thing. I would There's a it. lot of other bits of hype, you know, left, right, and center, hype all over the place. Give me some good hype. Good hype? Dalton Kincaid has been impressing a lot. Yeah, I mean, some of the descriptions are like, so I feel like this happens to be every year. I, I'm like so excited to see the rookies and... You watch their first preseason game, and it's like, that's exactly what I saw in college. They were mm. the same exact player they were nine months ago. Every now and again, you get a surprise. Kincaid, so Kincaid, Kincaid every description of him, smooth, great pass catcher, works the middle of the field, hands, ball skills. It's like, yeah, that's what he does. Yeah, he's intriguing because on the one hand, rookie tight ends tend to struggle. On the other hand, they're not really going to ask him to be a tight end. Well, it's like Kyle Pitts. Was, Kyle yeah. Pitts straight up played wide receiver right. and had over 1,000 right. yards as a rookie. Now, the difference is, you know, Kyle Pitts had legitimate sort of X wide receiver skills, and they used him in that role quite a lot, whereas Kincaid, they're basically going to use him as their slot receiver. They've, they've got Dawson Knox. They have a real tight end. They're essentially going to ask him to just be their big slot and, and do that, and he's amazing at that. So all the stuff that he was really, really good at in college – immediately I think should translate and by the way he isn't just good at being a receiver so it's not just like catches well run after the catch well like his sophistication in terms of understanding defenses is higher than almost any receiver wide receiver or or 
tight end I can think of coming out of the league in a lo- or coming out of college in a long time. Like he does stuff that most of the tight ends or most of the slot receivers in the NFL don't do now, right? Like he, so the way I describe it is a lot of the times you'll see players and you say, oh, this guy understands how to play in zone. And it's usually a case of like identify its zone, identify where the defense is moving and head to the gap, right? Head to the, the space in between the players. And that, that's good. That's a positive thing that, you know, you're going to need to do if you're going to be successful against zone coverage in the NFL. But the next step is understanding how you can actually manipulate those spaces and, and widen them with what you're doing. So don't just run in a straight line to the center of that space and then turn around and look for the ball. Run a route in such a way that will make a player move in the opposite direction and actually widen the space in the first place. He does that already. And there really aren't many tight ends that have that level of understanding to actually work towards a defensive back's leverage or a linebacker's leverage, get them moving in the wrong direction, and then break into the gap that they're opening up. He already does that. In addition to being great after the catch, in addition to having great hands and being a great athlete. So if he's able to do that stuff from day one in the NFL, that's a huge leg up over almost any you know, rookie that's coming into the league. And then you add the fact that they don't need him to do any blocking because they're not going to they've already got Dawson Knox. They're basically not going to saddle him with that stuff. That's where rookie tight ends struggle the most anyway. So you're removing the thing he's likely to struggle with the most from his plate completely and you're leaning into the thing that he's unusually good at. The pieces are there for him to be very good right away. The two things I'll say there. I I I like what you've highlighted as his strength there. I do have to say the strength of feel for the game and finding soft spots in zones might be more difficult at the NFL level than it is sure. in college. However, for this Bills offense to be ticking, again, I always come back to options and, you know, when Stephon Diggs is taken away, can Gabe Davis step up and do it? Can Deontay Hardy be the deep threat opposite Stephon Diggs? Can, like, what does Dalton Kincaid actually just have to be? To me, I think he just has to be like what Dalton Schultz was for the Cowboys the last couple years. I don't think Kincaid needs to be this mismatch weapon in year one right it'd be great for him to do that at some point but be this mismatch weapon who's going to catch 10 passes and uh, every time you put a linebacker on him he's going to win and and you're going to feed him the ball you could do that once in a while but honestly he just has to be that find a soft spot in the zone dependable receiver make a make a great catch every now and again but be the guy when you when Stephon Diggs is taken away take a little pressure off Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis. Let Gabriel Davis be a deep threat. Let Deontay Hardy be a deep threat. Let Stephon Diggs be the all-around everything else. And when those guys are covered, Dalton Kincaid is the next guy. And just for comparison's sake, like Travis Kelsey, just for comparison. Travis Kelsey in 2014, he, was not, he wasn't playing like a Hall of Fame tight end. He had 67 catches, 860 yards. Mm. It was like, wow. He was injured in 2013, most of the year. His first full season's 14. And Kelsey just has a good, productive season. And then starts to grow. Rob Gronkowski was kind of similar, right? You saw flashes as a rookie, caught a lot of touchdowns, but he wasn't special until year two. So I think that's okay for Kincaid to not even have to show the special until year two. But if he's a dependable 50 to 70 catch guy this year, like I think that's actually a reasonable expectation and helps the Bills offense immensely. Yeah. Um, other hype, Brandon Ayuk has apparently been unstoppable all the way through training camp. Remember, Ayuk was a guy that wound up in Shanahan's doghouse early on. And then it sort of feels like Shanahan treated him with that approach of, 
I'm going to be really hard on this guy. I'm going to coach him really hard, make sure he understands what's expected, which goes one of two ways, right? Either you essentially break that guy or he ends up responding with exactly what you want and becomes the player you expected him to be. Shanahan may have induced that out of Brandon Ayuk, and he may be a superstar this year. Um, yeah, Ayuk. The Niners just have incredible depth. I'm also most interested, by the way, in training camp videos, hype that back up my priors. Oh, absolutely. So Brian Branch had a couple of phenomenal plays. And I'm like, why did Brian Branch go in the second round? That guy is one of the top 10 players in this draft. Yeah. You did what we don't love, but you completely acknowledge, I'm, I'm going to overreact to this video. Oh, yeah. and I put that, I've sure. put that out multiple times already. I am 100% buying into any training camp video, highlight, hype, buzz, tweet sure. that is backing up my prior takes. And my prior yeah. take is that Brian Branch is a top 10 player in this draft. Therefore, if you show me a video that supports that evidence, I will endorse it 100%. One of the, the first clip on that... He's running stride for stride downfield with Khalif Raymond, who is a 4-3 guy, who not just is a 4-3 guy, but is like off the charts in terms of like separation per play. Not a 4-3 guy with like four or five game speed. A legit 4-3 dude that separates and outruns everybody. He's their deep threat that I'm trying to add to every team. Wide receiver four (laughs) who runs behind the defense for 25 yards per catch. Brian Branch, our like, you know, miserable athlete that can't run with anybody that's why he goes in the second round, is running stride for stride with him without getting hands on him, by the way, until later in the route. It's not like he got to jam him at the line and disrupt his release. Runs with him, stride for stride, and then breaks up the pass when it arrives there. All right, so I'm, I'm going to read some of these tweets here. Um, I didn't realize this because in my head, so we're going to Colts camp tomorrow. Yeah. In my head, it was still like a week away. Uh-huh. So I read this tweet earlier, and I was like, oh, whatever, he'll be back by the time we're there. But Anthony Richardson has a procedure on his nose to correct his nasal septum. He's going to miss practice today on Monday. And depending on how he feels, we expect him to return tomorrow. So we might be driving up to Colts camp. And there's a chance it's not the Anthony Richardson show. Yeah, but that means it's the Minshew show. You say that like it's a bad thing. If you get a whole day of Gardner Minshew. No, that's a bad thing. I want to see. I'm here for that. I got to see Anthony Richardson. We'll be up there tomorrow. So hit us up with your uh, Colts camp questions. You can have some guests and everything. Have some fun. Probably have that on the uh, the Wednesday show. Uh, we have Zay Jones and Trevor Lawrence connecting on a big pass. Yeah. Deep ball. Oh, uh, Calvin Ridley's been getting a ton of hype. Oh, Ridley's looking great. Great route runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jameson Williams with a rough start to the first padded practice of the summer. <laughs> Dropped two balls against air and then went 0 for 3 during red zone one-on-ones. Yeah, that's not great. Um, he did have a huge block, though. Huge block. Jameer Gibbs breaks out a big run sparked by a helmet-popping block from Jamison Williams. Okay. Maybe Jamison Williams is just what Julio Jones was at Bama, just a really good run-blocking receiver. Mm. That's all he is. Seems unlikely. Yeah, probably not. What else do we have here? C.D. Lamb on Dak Prescott. He's very aggressive, and he's looking for the deep ball now. Yeah. C.D. Lamb is one of those guys that is at the forefront of, like, training camp video Hall of Fame people. Like oh, that yeah. guy is. That guy destroys training camp every year. He does highlight videos left, right, and center. Destroys NFL too. Yeah, but like not George to the Pickens. same. George Pickens. Like, I'm not saying he's. He, I mean, he's not like. I'm not saying he's Dante Moncrief. Like only, but at the like in terms of the one percent of the one percent, that guy must have one of the best 
training camp montage highlight reels of like any player ever. I love it. I'm going to buy into all the hype. We're going to buy into all of it. Okay. All right. Is that all, all I have? That's your, that's your list. We get the one-handed interception. Who's, who had that one-handed interception that's gone viral oh, for the yeah. Giants? I forget who that was. Um, just to follow up your Dalton Kincaid point, uh, Anthony cover one. See the guy that criticizes us all the time? No, it's Greg cover one. The Bills. Uh, Losing track of the, the Bills one site. People. Yeah, Jason, Jason Pinnock, right, was the guy with the one. Ah, uh, Pinnock, yeah, yeah. But Anthony Cover One says Dalton Kincaid's athleticism and fluidity is on dis- fluidity is on display with every rep. So smooth in his movements, even when he has to make an adjustment or extend himself, there's no wasted motion. Looks effortless. Hmm. That's why he went in the first round. He's, I mean, he's really good at the stuff that you tend to focus on. But in addition to that, has that sort of trick that I talked about in terms of manipulating coverages. The but feel. Like, yeah. Kyle uh, Kyle Pitts, maybe the best receiver I can remember in terms of effortlessly catching a ball no matter where it was thrown like was able to pluck it out of the sky with zero wasted motion no matter where it was <clears throat> and a lot of the time it was not where it was supposed to be Kincaid's pretty close like he's not quite as good as Kyle Pitts at that I think but he's pretty f- close behind him like that's absolutely a strength of his it's just I don't think it's his biggest strength which is a good thing all right I should I, 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 I want to run this by you to wrap it up okay Omar Kelly. Yeah. Should I should I quote anything that Omar Kelly? I mean, you can quote it. Just understand that it's probably ridiculous. I mean, we've got we have a long history with Omar. Omar right. still blocked me from something that happened God knows when yeah. years ago. Dolphins beat writer. Very um, strange person. Unique takes. We'll certainly say. Yeah. He. Um, I'm pretty sure when we were when we did that training camp tour, whenever the hell that was, when we were at Miami Dolphins camp. This is still like years ago, and it was. I was still blocked by him. But I'm pretty sure he knows who we are. Um, and Well, he's been, he was critical of PFF. He was one of the first, like, highly critical people of PFF. Yes. Um, Trashing us all the time on right. social media. But he's also quite critical of a lot of people. And I think generally is not held in the highest esteem when it comes to, you know, beat writers throughout the NFL. There's some very good beat writers. There's also some Look, people that are we've kind, all had of, our misses. kind of terrible. He's got the Legadoo Nene <laughs> miss. Um, but we were at, like, Dolphins camp, and, you know, the, the practice had finished, and everyone's kind of down on the field, you know, getting into the, like, media scrums and the huddles and blah, blah, blah. It's difficult to tell because you're in pretty close quarters and people are sort of rubbing shoulders naturally just because everyone's jostling for the same square inch of real estate. He seemed like, you know, when you're a kid and you're sort of like, oh, I'm going to walk by this guy, and, you know, tense the shoulder, and you're just, just let them know who's boss. You know, alpha, like, I'm going to claim yeah. this space. Middle school stuff. In the corridor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, when you're 12. Yeah. I was pretty sure he was doing that to me. And it's like, <laughs> really? I wasn't there that day, but I'm pretty sure he wouldn't do that to me. I don't think he would. No. Yeah, it's messed up. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I can't believe I'm about to quote him right here. But it's something worth quote watching. away. I, um, okay, so because I can't see really quick. Tweet. So the tweet that I sent you that you're blocked to see, yeah, was um, it was a video of two defensive linemen doing like uh, hand-to-hand combat drills. Okay, and Omar's like, man, 20, 20 years of well, uh, covering training camp, I've never seen this drill. I'm like, really? That's like pretty common, <laughs> pretty common stuff, you know. Um, so here's what he says, Omar Kelly. Take it for what it's worth. Okay. Track record is trash. <laughs> quote on Tyree Kill. Quote. Excuse it however you'd like, but Hill's first week made him look like he'd lost his superpowers. Hill, a seven-time Pro Bowler, blended in 
and not how a player on a Hall of Fame trajectory is supposed to practice. You could tell he's either slowed by a nagging injury or his focus is off because he's had too many drops, end quote. Mm. My, it's a fascinating story because there's zero players in the league like Tyreek Hill right. on the field. The speed is out of this world. He's also that guy who would like come up, come up limping like once a game. And if, if, if he ever comes up limping, it's like, okay, is that, is that it? Right, like if he loses a half a step, he'll still be faster than everybody. But you, but you're not the same player, and it's it's even more fascinating because the Chiefs got rid of him. Right, the Chiefs took the chance to get rid of him to take a step back before they took a step forward. They won a Super Bowl in that year without Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill also went to Miami and made that offense so much better. You got him and Jalen Waddle on the field. If Tyree Kill loses a step, is this whole thing over? If he's not the same player for the Dolphins. So the Dolphins have a chance when he's healthy, Jalen Waddle's healthy, and they've got this explosive offense, healthy Tua. They have a chance to make a run here, but this might it might be nothing, again, consider the source, or it could be something to keep an eye on. Tyree Kill not looking superhuman at practice. Per one source, mm -hmm. a source who also had never seen hand-to-hand -hand combat drills for defensive linemen and thought Legadu Nene was, the, was a number one receiver coming out of training camp six or seven years ago. So, and apparently he tries to shoulder check people and blocked. he tried to bully you on the sideline. Uh, Consider the source, but I'm just saying. For the record, I wasn't intimidated. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad, glad you still – I'll put that out there. You should – I would say tweet at him, but can't. I can't. <laughs> blocked. <laughs> well, I could, but he won't see it, I don't think. I actually hadn't seen Omar's name in like five years until, I don't know, recently. As so. he, well, you, you're not blocked. You just don't follow him. No, def definitely yeah. don't follow him. But, uh, you know, see what happens. All right, that's enough rambling for today. Mm. It's a great show. I just love talking ball. You guys love talking ball with us? It's good times. If you don't, this is probably not the show for you. It might not, it might not <laughs> be. But, uh, yeah, we appreciate everybody. I'm still I'm going to grind some more draft. Do some draft film. Some people wanted that. I have work to do. I have things to write about. Oh, okay. All right, we're going to go to Colts Camp tomorrow. Hit us up with the questions about Colts Camp. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back on Wednesday with some Colts recap and just general NFL news. Sound good? All right, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you Wednesday.